So thanks again uh, for being with us this morning. We are finishing up a series, a short series, four-week series called This Is Us. This morning we've been taking a look at the family. And three weeks ago, Mike kicked the series off by talking about kind of where family seems to be headed and then talking about where God has desired family to go, what God desires for us and from us as families. And the last couple of weeks, uh, Stephanie and I, my wife and I, have worked through the Old Testament Hebrew Scripture book of Esther to draw out some things that we can learn as men and women, husbands and wives, when it comes to the family. This morning, we're going to focus in on parenting, okay? So um, we're going to do it uniquely this way in that um, I'm going to spend kind of a half of a message talking to you uh, who are parents maybe of younger children because I have four of them. And then Mike's going to get up a little bit later and he's going to do a half a message talking to you who maybe have parents who are a little bit older because he's, or parents who have children a little bit older because he's got four of them uh, and because he's just a lot older than me. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to be doing that. So let's dive right in. Um, the date was Monday, November 14th, 2016 just last fall, and my brother Barry was visiting us from California, and um, my children, my four children had convinced uh, he and I that we needed to go trail running out uh, on the trails, and they like to do that at times, and so we said, okay, we'll do that. We've got an eight, two eight-year-olds, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old at the time, and, and they can run two, three miles without stopping. We're pretty proud about that, and they like to go trail running. So Barry and I said, we're going to go up to the Ice Age Trail right up here, uh, Beaver Dam Road, and D, okay, and so we run between Beaver Dam Road and D. There's some trails that go through there. It's a beautiful area. And so we went trail running, my brother and I and my four kids, and we got to Highway D's, our halfway point, turned around, and then little Ephraim, he's four years old, he's got tiny legs, okay, and he's trying to keep up with his two big sisters and his big brother, and so Barry and I are kind of in the back, bringing up the rear with Ephraim, and my Tiana Grace, she's our firstborn of the twins, she is also our fastest child at this time, and she was getting a little bit ahead of us, okay? And so she's running back in this wide trail that we've run before, kind of here's how it goes back to the, to the van, the big wider trail, and, and she gets around a corner where we kind of get, can't see her. She's far enough ahead where we can't see her. And so Barry says, hey, Troy, stay here with the kids. I'll run ahead and get her because she's getting a little too far ahead. And so I said, okay. So about four minutes later, my brother comes running back without Tiana. And he's like, I can't, I can't find her. She's not here. I, I ran pretty far up and she was not there. And so I was like, okay, so probably what happened is that she probably was that fast. She's probably back at the van. So I said, why don't you take maybe a couple of the boys. I'll keep Chloe with me, and then we'll, you go back to the van. Just call me on your cell phone when you get back there. She's probably back there. So ten minutes go by, and, and I said, we'll stay here and just see if she comes up on these side trails. There's side trails everywhere. And so ten minutes later, I get a call from my brother, and he's like, Troy, I'm back at the van. She is not here. And so I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'm going to, Chloe and I are going to go run up this trail that we kind of came down and see if we can find her. It's by the highway over here, folks, so you can't, you can yell, but you can't hear anything because of the ambient highway noise. And so I'm starting to get a little, a little anxious. I have the peace of Christ, okay, folks, but I'm starting to go, okay, it's almost dusk. It's, it's getting to where it's getting dark out. And I don't have one of my daughters. And so I look for another 10 minutes. My brother looks another 10 minutes with the kids and, and, and we can't find him. And so I call him back. I said, Barry, I, I don't know. I, I think I got to call 911. Like, we're, we're into this now. And he's like, I wasn't going to say anything, but I think you're right. And so I call my wife. Stephanie's at home making dinner for us. I said, honey, here's what's going on. I, I, I need you to know this. I'm going to call 911. And she's like, okay. And she drops everything she's doing. She goes on, gets some flashlights, starts to call our, our faith family in the neighborhood that we have, our mission community, and starts to tell them, say, hey, can you guys come out? We need to look for our daughter. And um, I get on the phone with 911. And I'm, I'm going through the scenario in my head, right? They're asking me all these questions like, how, how, what does she look like? When was the last time you saw her? And I'm starting to put in my mind like this really horrible scenario together. Okay, folks? 
Like you start to feel this in your stomach where you're like, I don't know where she is. And this is not like Tiana Grace to do this. She's actually really usually very wise about these kinds of things. So it's not like her to do that. Um, so, so I'm getting this feeling in my gut and I'm starting to go in my mind. I'm thinking my daughter may have been abducted. Like this could be the worst day of my life happening right now. I'm on the phone with this dispatch gal and she sends out a a deputy sheriff. Stephanie comes out and, and so I, I think you can imagine some of you who are parents have probably felt something like this at some point as a parent. Okay. Maybe it wasn't called 911. But some of you probably can recognize this gut feeling where you're like, this could be the worst possible day of my life. I can't find my child. And, 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 uh, I tell you this because I want to switch quickly and say, you know what? Mary and Joseph, who are Jesus' earthly parents, actually probably felt that same way once. And I'll look at that story actually today. Now I'm going to finish up the Tiana story. I'll come back to it later. Um, she's right here. So she, she turned out okay. Okay, many of you have seen her. She, it, that'll turn out okay, but I, I want to go to this other story where, where Mary and Joseph have maybe been in those shoes and see if we can learn some things uh, as parents from this narrative. So turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's on page 725 in the Brown Bibles, and I strongly encourage you to grab a Bible underneath your chairs in front of you and turn to this uh, narrative with me, Luke chapter 2. Luke is an account of the life of Jesus, and, um, and, and what we find here is basically right after the whole Christmas narrative, we find kind of this happening, because Jesus is now a 12-year-old boy. And here's what we find in chapter 2, verse 41. I want to read this with you. Every year, his parents, that's Jesus' parents, <clears throat> went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom, and after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then, verse 51, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I want to stop there. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we were in Esther. Esther is a descriptive text. It it describes what's happening. It doesn't prescribe, here's what you should do. And we find the same thing in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is a descriptive text. It says, here's what happened. And yet there are also some things that we can glean from this. If I were to say, I was to to look at this text and say, why does Luke probably keep this text in here? I would tell you the main point of this text is, I think, to draw a a connection between Jesus and his heavenly father. That, I think, is the main point of why Luke left this in there to say, hey, Jesus, didn't you know I had to be here? As much as I love you, my earthly parents, my relationship with the heavenly father is the most important thing. And that's where I think he keeps it in there. But there's some things I think we can learn as parents from this narrative as well. And I want to draw them out for you. There's just about three things that I saw. The first thing is this. Mary and Joseph are incredibly irresponsible. I mean, I mean who doesn't know where their kid is for three days, right? Way to go. Okay? Now, in their defense... <clears throat> Okay, when, when you went up to Jerusalem for one of these uh, feasts, you would go from Nazareth, you'd go with a large crowd because the road that you need to take to get there were not very safe. 
they weren't safe if you were if you were kind of by yourself. And so you'd travel in big groups. So you can imagine their family, their extended family, and their, their their community, if you would, going up together. A lot of probably 12-year-old boys running around, and Jesus was probably running around with the 12-year-old boys. And you can imagine that when they left Jerusalem, it was like, hey, everybody, here we go. We're all going. And then Mary and Joseph assume that Jesus is running around. And it takes them a day to find out that he's not there. And so they have to take another day to walk back and then a day to find him. And that's what they do. Now, this is something where it kind of reminds me of that scene from Home Alone. <clears throat> you know, where Kevin wakes up in the attic. Hello. And everyone's like on the plane already, right? They had left him home alone. It's kind of what we find that Jesus is left in Jerusalem. Um, and they had left without him. Now, we live in a culture today that has a very low tolerance for this kind of parenting style. Okay? Like, I have a buddy of mine who just a couple summers ago, he went to Qdoba to get a Qdoba down here on Paradise to get a, a, a burrito to go. And he literally went through the line, had his burrito to go, got out to his vehicle and found the police were there waiting for him. And he was like, uh, what's up? And so they had been called because someone who had pulled in had called uh, the authorities on him because they said that he had left his daughter in the car with the windows up on a hot summer day. And so he opened the vehicle up to show the, the officers that his daughter had left her doll in her car seat. And so you're like, okay, on the one hand, I understand you don't want a kid in a car. Like, I get it. But you probably want to take enough time to look and say, is that a child or a doll? Okay? So, so, we, so we can be really, really swing the pendulum in this thing. Okay? As we ask the question, well, what kind of parents would, what kind of parents would not know where their kids are for three days? Well, you could say, well, parents who know they're raising the Messiah. Well, okay. That doesn't help. That doesn't necessarily help us. Uh, but, but how about this? Parents, perhaps, that are pretty secure to give their children a little space. Now, parents who are not necessarily hovering constantly over their children, okay? Mary and Joseph were secure enough to give Jesus a little space and a little independence. Now, I, I hear sometimes of parents who will never leave their children. I'm talking about for years, Okay? And, 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 and I, if you're here today and that's you, I don't say that to shame you. I really don't. I say it because I want you to raise an awareness that may not be healthy for you or for them. And I, I know there may be reasons that are legit as to why you may not do that. You may have lost a child. You may have been trying to get pregnant for a long time and, and then never been able to do it and finally got pregnant. So that child is so precious to you. And amen, I get that. You may have had something happen to you when you were young as a child that you will never, like, you're no way is it ever happening. And so you will never let your child be with anybody else. You may work a lot and feel horribly guilty about that. And so when you're with your kids, you're, 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 you gotta be there. I, like, I get all those things. But folks, when we are in a place where we don't let our children have any space, it teaches them something. It teaches them something about themselves. It teaches them something about you. And it teaches them something about others that you may or may not be intending to teach them. Just on Friday, Elizabeth Murphy was here to speak to the moms who are at MOPS, and she made a comment that's relevant here. Uh, Steph shared it with me. Here's what she said. When we hover over our children, we are teaching our kids that they can't be their best selves without us. When we hover, we're teaching our kids they can't be their best selves without us. Well, here at Mary and Joseph, they're actually secure enough to give Jesus a little bit of space. Now, Kids, if you're in the room and your parents give you a little bit of space, here's what I need. I'm speaking to you now, children. I need you to understand something. If your parents do give you space, you still need to obey them. Okay? Okay? Yes. Yes. 
You need to obey them. Those are my children, folks. Uh, and here's what I'm going to tell you. I want you to look at how we ended this up in verse 51. Here's what we see. This is the end of this narrative to some extent. It says, Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, those of Mary and Joseph, and was obedient to them. Okay, kids, I know. I, I was a kid at one time. I remember it's sometimes difficult to want to obey your parents and listen to them. Kids, I think there's times where you're probably going to go, my parents don't know what they're talking about. I know everything. Okay? But here's the deal. Yeah, here's the deal. Jesus actually knew everything. He knew everything. And yet it says, he went down to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was obedient to them. Okay? And so, kids, here's what I want to just point this out to you. Say, this is what it says. And you might say, if you've got some real sharp kids out there, they're going to say, well, it doesn't matter. It's a descriptive text. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine, you little smart Alex. I'll tell you what else. Paul's got you covered. Paul's got you covered because twice he gives prescriptive texts. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Parents are writing that one down. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. And say the same thing. Children, obey your parents. Those are prescriptive texts. Say, this is what you're supposed to do. And Mike's going to talk a little bit about that uh, Ephesians text or the verse after in a minute here. So we have to obey. And kids, kids, if you obey, you're going to become more secure, actually, believe it or not. And your parents are going to become more secure as well. And so we have to give our kids some space. The second thing, I, the reason I think that Mary and Joseph were, were so secure as parents is this, this reason. It's because they weren't doing it alone. They weren't raising their kids alone. There was a community of people around them. In fact, such a large community that they had trusted their children to that it took them a day to figure out that they wasn't there. And it wasn't just relatives. I know you're thinking, well, it's our big extended family. No, it says in verse 44 that they had to look through all their friends and their, their, their relatives and their friends. This community was bigger than just their family. It was their friends as well. One of the reasons we do parent-child dedication is because we want to show you a glimpse of Luke chapter 2 here this morning. Because if something were to happen to Charlotte, to Charlotte Grace or Nathaniel James, okay, that, that Barry and Melissa, that, that Brad and Elise would know that there is a community of people who are walking alongside with them to say, we are with you in this. If the kids get a little bit off the rails to some extent, we want to be a community of people who are helped to be the, guide, the guardrails for them together. And so here's a question. Are you trying to raise your kids alone? Are you trying to, to raise your kids without this community? Or are you engaging in a small group or a missional community or some community here of faith that can, that can help establish and support you in raising these children? Mary and Joseph, they knew they were raising the Messiah and they still knew they couldn't do it alone. They had a whole community alongside them. Last thing I want to draw briefly is that, and this should be obvious, that Mary and Joseph made faith a central part of their parenting. They were going up. Mary didn't have to go as a woman. She went to Jerusalem. It was important to bring the family and say, this is who we are. This is part of what we do. Now, we don't have the pilgrimages to go to, folks, to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, if you would. But but perhaps there's things that we can do, like praying with our children. And then doing that as a community to show our kids. We're not the only ones who pray. We're not the only crazies out there. Okay? It's, 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 it's reading the scripture with our kids. And, and, and other books similar. We, right now we're going through this book as a family uh, with the kids. It's Theology. Haha. <laughs> theology. It's theology. It's ancient truths ever new. Just bite-sized nuggets of, of what we know to be true about who God is and how that impacts us. We need to be speaking the gospel into our children. Having it be the foundation. We have a child right now who um, 
He's a little competitive. He gets it from his mom. And, and, and like, if he, if he loses something, he also loses his mind. He, he goes out of his gourd, okay? And so we have to speak the gospel to him and say, hey, you lost. Jesus won. Every loss that you have reminds you of Jesus' victory, okay? Your identity is not based on your capacity to succeed. Yes, we need to do everything as unto the Lord. You will try your hardest because Jesus has given you this life to live to the fullest. But it's Christ's victory, not your victory, that, that identifies who you are. These kinds of things. We, have to, we can take our kids home today from all-stars and rising stars and process through what they're learning. We can do that together. All these ways to help support the community of faith family that's building them up here. All these things, folks. Uh, obviously, you're going to hear us say faith needs to be at the center of what we're doing here for our kids. But at the end of the day, parents, I need you to hear this. You're going to screw this up sometimes. You're going to mess this up. There's going to be a time where your kid goes around the corner maybe and you've got to call 911, okay? Not my most shining moment as a dad. But there's something called grace, Charlotte's middle name, that we have to remember. We have to remember that God chose Mary and Joseph to be Jesus' parents. He chose, he chose them and he chose you. God chose you to raise your kids. And so you can do that in light of the fact that the one that he chose Mary and Joseph to parent over has gone before you so that he could be able to make that relationship reunited in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, after about 10 minutes, on 15 minutes on dispatch, my wife came in, or she called me because she had, she had come in and found Tiana Grace. Tiana Grace had amazingly found her way. She took a side trail but worked her way all the way back to the parking lot and Stephanie drove in as she was coming up. And then we ran back. I gave Tiana probably the strongest hug that I've ever given her, and she gave me the strongest hug that I've ever received from her. I think it's a hug similar to probably what Mary and Joseph may have hugged Jesus on that day in the temple. And it's also, I think, pointing us to a hug, if you would, a relationship that's meant to be restored to us with the Father that's that kind of grip that's made possible because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, good morning, Kittlebrook family. That's right. Today you get two sermons for the price of one. Two sermons for the price of one. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, bonus. And others of you are like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's kind of like when someone asks you, you want more shredded beets on your salad? No, 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 I'm, I'm good, really. No, but, uh, but actually we're not asking you. We're just saying this is what's happening this morning. So, um, Anyways, one of the things, uh, you know, the choice that we're going to be talking about parenting kind of on the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the, the tunnel of parenting. Uh, one of the things that I love to do, we lived in Russia for about eight years in, the, in uh, a city called Irkutsk, Siberia. And one of the things I did to keep my sanity when we lived there in Irkutsk was uh, I climbed mountains. About once a year, I'd like to try to go and uh, climb a mountain. There are lots of them around there in that area, um, particularly down by the Mongolia border. Uh, and uh, one of the biggest ones was called Munku Sardik. Okay, there's Munku Sardik right there. Uh, Munku Sardik, I think, in the native language means break a leg, uh, something like that. So, um, no, but uh, Munku Sardik is not as high as some of the mountains in, California, in Colorado, like 14ers there. Uh, but it's the, the final ascent and the elevation gain is pretty extreme there at the end. And so what we did is we, we hiked up this frozen river 
and uh, we kind of set up our base camp. There's the frozen river that we hiked up, and uh, and we set up base camp and acclimated to some of the elevation. And then we got up on the the day of the final ascent. We got up at like three in the morning and hiked in pitch blackness uh, up this frozen river. Uh, we kind of uh, kind of took a break for lunch when we got near the final ascent. And um, and then we took off at about two in the afternoon and we did the final three hours trudging through this like like knee deep snow and uh, just going kind of straight up at what seemed like a 90 degree angle. I'm sure is more like a 60 degree angle. And finally, we made it to the top. We made it to the summit. And when we got there, just a spectacular view. There's uh, Lake Hoopsagul in the back background there in uh, that's northern Mongolia. And we're just looking around and, and we couldn't have a we didn't have a lot of time to stay up there on the top of the mountain because it was already late. It was already like four or five o'clock and we had to hike all the way back down to base camp. So a friend of mine and I, we uh, checked in with the guide and decided to get an early start on it. So do you mind if we just kind of take off a little bit earlier? So we uh, we took off before the group and you see the, the kind of the slope of the snow there. We just decided that it would be really fun if we decided to scooch down that slope on our bottoms and just kind of sled down, you know, uh, the side of the mountain there. And uh, we said, this will be easy. This will be fun. You know, we're going to be down this thing in no time. And so we started and we started scooching down on our butts there. And it was fun. We kind of had our, our, our feet out in front of us kind of to, to kind of guide and steer us. And it was a great time. We were having fun until we hit a patch of ice. And then uh, when I hit that patch of ice, there was such a jarring uh, hit that my leg was jammed up into my thigh. Now, that would not have been a really big thing, except that I was wearing crampons. Now, crampons are steel spikes that you wear attached to your boots so you can climb up ice. And my crampon spikes went through my snow pants, through my uh, long underwear, and punctured my thigh in the back. And I felt it, and it hurt. <laughs> and I kind of scooched the rest of the way down to the bottom of the mountain. And when I got down to the bottom of, or bottom of that hill that we were on, I, I kind of dropped my drawers. And my friend, who was pre-med at the time, he took a look at it. He, says, he said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we're talking muscle tissue here. Yeah, that's, that's all he said. And, um, and so we just kind of packed it with snow, and we hiked on. And I could feel my long underwear sticking to my leg from the blood that was kind of coming from that wound. And then, and then we got to that river part. And even though it was freezing on top of the mountain, we got to the river, the, and it was even freezing on the top of the mountain, but the river down the valley, it was like 70 degrees all day. It was May, and so everything had thawed, and the river that we hiked up was now this thin veneer of ice. And so we were hiking along the river, and we kept on crashing through the ice and getting soakers up to our legs. And finally, we tried to navigate along the river, and we were climbing along these rocks along the river. That wasn't working so well. The sun was setting, and, and at one point, we were so exhausted and delirious and disoriented, we thought we had gotten lost. And here we were, lost in the middle of Siberia, <laughs> the middle of the Siberian mountains, not sure if we were even going to survive the experience. Have you ever felt like that before? That sounds a little bit like parenting, doesn't it? You know, I mean, you're up on top of the mountain and you're like, hey, let's have kids. This will be fun. 
This will be easy. You know, that's how I was before I had kids. You know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be the most awesome parent. My kids are just going to love me. You know, I was that guy who was like standing in line at the checkout counter when there's a kid having a fit in front of me. I'm like, I don't know what those parents are doing wrong. I'm going to be an awesome parent. You know, and I got and then. You have kids, and just like that jolt when he hit the ice and my leg punk- and my foot punctured my leg, you hit those terrible twos. Or you have a special needs kid. Or you have a strong-willed child. And you are wondering, oh my gosh, this is much more than I bargained for. And then you hit adolescence. And like we kept on crashing through the ice and getting soakers. You keep crashing through the ice as you're walking with your kids through adolescence. And finally, you may get to the point where you're just like, am I even going to survive this experience? Am I going to make it through alive? Welcome to parenting. Some of us this morning might feel a little disoriented, might feel a little uh, discombobulated. But Troy spoke about parenting kind of from the front end. He's still got young kids. We want to talk about parenting from kind of the back end of the spectrum. And and we're just going to do that. We're just going to look at one verse, just one verse today, one verse that kind of sums up a lot of parenting philosophy. So it's kind of this one catch-all for raising children in a manner reflective of God. I want to uh, invite you to turn to Colossians 3. We're going to look at verse 21. Now, uh, and you'll find that on page 834. Now, the immediate context of Colossians is that Paul is describing the believer's current reality, okay? They have been raised with Christ. Christ is now living in them, okay? And so they have this whole brand new experience, and we're going to put on Christ almost like we're putting on a new pair of clothes. And so he says, get rid of all things that used to be true about yourself, anger, immorality, lust, greed, and instead to put on Christ, it is the living Christ that gives us the power to live a new life. And then he begins to very practically spell out what this looks like in the context of our relationships. So starting in verse 18, going all the way to verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You've covered these in weeks previous. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's the verse that, that Troy alluded to before. Fathers, or I'm going to put in here parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do not embitter your, your children or they will become discouraged. Another translation says it this way. Don't provoke your children to anger or they will lose heart. The corresponding verse to this in Ephesians says, do not exasperate your children. Essentially what Paul is saying here is is that don't parent in such a heavy-handed way that it embitters your children towards you. Don't be so overbearing that you crush them and you crush their will, kind of cause them to be discouraged. Don't be constantly riding them to the point where they don't want anything to do with you and they eventually lose heart. And if they lose heart, you risk the possibility of losing the relationship. And whatever you do, what, however you decide to parent, whatever parenting philosophy you may ascribe to as you're raising your kids, keep one thing front and center. You want to maintain the relationship. Because relationship is the pathway to influence in your child's life. If you want to have influence in your child's life, whatever age they may, they may be, whether they're young or whether they're old, you need to nurture and develop and maintain a strong 
and healthy relationship with each one of them. See, for Car and I, our goal was never done to have perfectly behaved kids. You know, it was never to have kids that went to the right school and made the right, uh, you know, six-figure in- income when they get older. It was always, first and foremost, about their character. And we knew intuitively and from the teachings of the Scriptures that in order for us to influence their character, we had to develop and nurture and maintain a relationship with each and every one of them. That we, weren't, we didn't parent in a way that would crush them or embitter them or drive them away to the point where they wanted nothing to do with us. I was having dinner with a friend of mine, uh, Dan Brosey, in Baltimore uh, one day, and uh, we had met his uh, uh, adult son, who's in his 20s, with his wife for dinner. And during dinner, they were interacting, and they were talking, and they were sharing this wonderfully warm relationship, and he was asking them questions about life as they were just getting started as a young couple. And afterwards, I turned to my friend Dan, and I said, I said, Dan, how did you do that? And he's like, what? I'm like, that! That, that just happened, that just took place right there, like that relationship that you enjoy with your adult son, that is what I want for my kids. Because at the time, I had kids that were 11, 13, and 15. And our relationship at the time was anything but, you know, warm and respectful and <laughs> nurturing, you know, at that time. And I'm, like, I'm like, that's like the dream that I have for my kids. And he gave me some points uh, of parenting that... Uh, that I think really correspond with this verse in Colossians 3.21. Parents, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And the first thing is this. He says, choose your battles. Choose your battles. We don't have to fight about everything. Not every hill is a hill worth dying on. And so as parents, you need to choose what are the battles that I really need to fight. Are things like hairstyle or t- wearing a jacket to school or w- which sports you're going to, uh, to partake, partake in or if you're going to do, participate in sports at all, are those things that you really have to die on or are those things that you can give your opinion on and then allow your kids to make their own decisions. And just like Troy was saying, we don't want to micromanage our kids. I am surprised sometimes at how parents want to make every issue as if it is the biggest issue that their child is ever going to face. And so if you don't want to embitter your children, you have to choose your battles carefully. And then as much as possible, the second thing, as much as possible, don't get angry Anger is going to poison your relationship with your kids. And if you get overly emotional when dealing with the issues that your kids bring up, or if you fly off the handle in disciplined situations, that is going to negatively impact your long-term relationship with your kids. Perhaps that is why Paul prefaces the verses that we read this morning with a whole section about ridding ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage and malice. He says, rid yourself of these things. Even when our kids were young, when we disciplined them, we wanted to make sure that we did not discipline in them in anger. And so if we were angry, if we were frustrated, we would just wait. We would say, uh, you know, your punishment is coming, but you know, mom and dad just need to cool off right now until we're calm and cool collected. Because we knew if we punished out of frustration, out of anger, that that was going to poison our relationship with our kids. And now, as they are adults, or getting to be adults, when they have situations that, uh, where there's been a failure, there's been a mistake, there's been a problem, they know that they can still come to us. Just as last homecoming, 
um, our son, our 17 year old son was out with his friends and it was a rainy night. And I told him before he left, I said, the roads are going to be slick. You're driving in unfamiliar territory. Be careful. And, uh, sure enough, I got a phone call and he had ditched the car into a farm field. Okay. Thankfully he was with friends. They're caravanning together. And so his friends are like, what do you want to do? And he says, well, I need to call my dad. And his friends are like, are you sure you want to do that? Because that may ruin your homecoming, you know? And, uh, and he said, no, 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 they'll be okay. And he told me what happened. And I said, well, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. And I said, is the car safe? And he says, yeah, it's in a farm field. I'm like, well, we'll take care of it in the morning. So go to, go to homecoming if you got a ride. And his friends were just incredulous. They're like, holy cow, like your dad didn't fly off the handle? And, you know, no, he didn't. Now, Luke had to pay for the repairs himself. <laughs> and that was a lesson in and, of, in and of itself. But, you know, he knew that we weren't going to fly off the handle. And so he knew that he could come to us. See, if your kids know that my parents can't handle this, and they're going to get frustrated, they're going to yell, they're going to go ballistic, what's going to happen? They're going to hide things from you. They're going to try to deal with it on their own. And they're, not, they're going to learn that they can't trust you with their failures and their mistakes and their problems. So as much as possible, don't get angry. Last thing is be more positive than negative. If Paul tells us here what parents aren't supposed to do, that we're not to embitter their, our children, is there any way, anywhere where he says what our parents supposed to do? And there actually is a place in Scripture where he does say what parents are supposed to do. You turn over in your Bibles one page to the book of 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is describing his own conduct towards the Thessalonian believers, and he describes it as a father interacts and behaves towards his kids. And he says this in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. I think we're going to put it up on the verse, up on the board there for you. For you know that we dealt with you, with each of you, as a father deals with his own children. Number one, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, comforting and urging. He's saying that's how a father is to, or how a parent is to interact with their, with, with their children. There are, these are things that a parent wants to pour into their child's life, encouragement, comfort, and speaking words of life and truth into them, not constantly harassing them and telling them what they're not doing right, but instead focus more on what they are doing right. In November... We had a parenting conference here, and we had Pat Quinn come and talk to all the parents. And he presented some data that absolutely astounded me. He talked about the, the fact that in order to really influence our kids and allow them and to build confidence into their character, we have to pay them nine compliments for every one critique. Nine positive messages for every one negative message. Now, you may quibble with that ratio. You may, you know, take objection to those numbers. But the reality is this. We need to be praising our kids much more than we are criticizing them. And that takes work. Because anyone can criticize. It's easy to do it. And in our parenting, we can become lazy. And just tell our kids what they're supposed to do or what they're not doing or anything like that. When what takes work and what takes intentionality is to find out what they're doing right. 
and to see what they're doing well and to intentionally and deliberately point it out to them. Like Paul says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. So those are the three things. Choose your battles as much as possible. Don't get angry and be more positive than negative. And so Car and I, we haven't done everything right as parents, but we have strive to maintain a relationship with each one of our kids regardless of our choices regardless of the behavior because we know that relationship is the pathway to influence in our children's life we now have two kids that are out of the home and we love the fact that they love to come back and talk to us about their life and ask us for our input and we get a chance to influence them because we have striven to have this relationship with them. Just last night we were with our daughter Maggie on the east side of Milwaukee at a at a coffee and and I, I was asking her I'm like I'm like Maggie I'm, I'm talking about parenting tomorrow so let me know where did we burn you? You know, what, what did we do right? And, and I'm not going to tell you what she, she said we did wrong, but she did say what we did right was, uh, was the fact she said, I, I always knew that I can come to you with your advice because you never, you never insisted on it, you never pushed on me, but I experienced over life that the advice that you had for me because I knew that you knew me so well and that you loved me and you had my best interests at, at heart that it was going to be good advice. And I can still come to you now and ask you for that kind of advice. And I, we have another son uh, who's 21 who lives outside of the house now. But I love the fact that he still comes home on weekends and we'll make a meal together or we'll go for a hike together. And as we're doing that, we get a chance to interact and talk about his life. Because the one thing that we want is we want to have adult relationships with our adult kids. Because relationship is the pathway to influence in your children's lives. Whether they're young or whether they're old, you can't get influence any other way. So eventually, around uh, midnight, my friend and I rounded the bend. And we, in the moonlight, we could see our tents up on the hill. And we had reached our base camp. And so we crawled into our sleeping bags, bloodied, aching, you know, weary, and totally exhausted. But... We had the adventure of our lives, okay? We knew that we were going to be talking about this forever. And in the same way, you can get to the end of parenting and you are bloodied and bruised and aching. But you know what? If you do it well, you will have the adventure of your lives and you'll be changed forever for it. And if you do it well, you maintain a relationship and you maintain the opportunity to influence your kids no matter what age they are. Let's pray. Father God, as a community, we just need your help as we parent our kids. And as we looked at in Colossians these days, we can't overlook the fact that the whole theme of Colossians chapter 3 is that the living Christ inside of us gives us the power to live this new kind of life. So it gives us the power to get rid of bitter rage and anger so that we can parent our kids in love and affection and encouragement like you tell us to in First Thessalonians. Lord, please be kind and gracious to us. Give us this ability so that we can reflect to the world what it looks like to be families redeemed by you and on mission with you. We pray this in Christ's name.